Welcome to church. Uh, as you know, we'll be doing the 10 series. And um, I just, once again, I just want to encourage you, if you haven't heard the 10 series or you've missed them, you need to go back and listen to them because it's really important that you get that layered foundation. Um, so today we're doing uh, the fourth commandment. And the fourth commandment is uh, about the Sabbath, right? So you're probably going, oh, well, this will be boring. Yeah, maybe. But I've got some interesting things that I found out about that I really want to share. So let's turn with me to um, Exodus 20, um, verses 8 to 11. And we're going to read out of the NLT. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and your livestock, and also any foreigners that you have living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So when we're talking about the Sabbath day, what we're really talking about is time. And time is actually relative. Albert Einstein says there certainly seems to be less of it than there used to be. And I don't know about you, but what I've discovered is the older I've got, it feels like time is racing. What used to feel like it would take a long time, even to just get through a week, now just feels like it's flying by. Like I find myself saying things like, I'm too busy, there's not enough days in the week, I don't have enough hours in the day, um, I don't have a moment to spare. I I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And because time is so basic and unchangeable, it's actually the most precious commodity we have. The interesting thing about time is it is no respecter of persons. See, it doesn't matter how rich you are or how poor you are, time passes the same for each person. And in fact, sometimes our ways of trying to get more time for ourselves are actually quite counterproductive. I think of the story that I read and it's about, there was an executive guy, and he's a business guy, and he's walking along this beautiful sundried beach. And as he's walking along, he's talking on his mobile phone, and he happens to pass this guy who's dressed in very simple clothes, who's dozing, sleeping, you know, um, in the sun beside a, a fishing boat. And as he walks past, this fisherman obviously wakes up. Um, the business guy finishes his phone call and as he's waiting for, to receive another call, he happens to turn to the fisherman and says to him, it's a beautiful day, uh, you know, the weather's gorgeous, you know, you, you should be out fishing and getting fish. And the, and the fisherman says to him, well, actually, I um, have finished for the day. I, I've caught enough fish for today. And the fisherman goes, uh, the exec guy goes, but if you go out three or four times, you can get three or four times more fish in a day. And do you know what could happen if you were doing that? And the fisherman's kind of slightly puzzled and he's like, uh, no, I don't know what will happen if I did that. And then the exec guy says, so, well, if you went out three or four times a day, you'd get three or four times more fish. If you got three or four times more fish, then you'll be able to actually buy yourself a motorboat. Maybe even after a year, you could buy two boats. Then after three or four years, you'll be able to buy a massive cutter. And then uh, from that point on, you could look to being able to buy yourself um, your uh, uh, trucks to be able to transport your fish into the city. You could even build yourself a freezing plant to be able to freeze the fish. And then you could maybe even buy a helicopter and you could buy this helicopter and then you'll be able to follow schools of fish around and tell your boats where to go and you'll be even more productive. Um, and then do you know what could happen if you manage to do all of that? 
And the fisherman kind of goes, no, no, what? What would happen? And then the businessman says quite triumphantly, he says to him, then you'll be able to spend your days lazing on the beach, um, looking out over the beautiful water, just relaxing and enjoying yourself. There's a slightly stunned silence and the fisherman says to him, what do you think I'm doing now? You see, in our world, our time is limited and it doesn't change. We can't actually add more time to our day. Uh, maybe if you're Joshua, you can add more time to your day. You can command the sun to stand still. But we can't. Technology, which was supposed to help us create more time in our day, has actually done the opposite. We have mobile phones, which means our bosses can get a hold of us anywhere. We have um, laptop computers that we take with us everywhere, so we're constantly checking emails and constantly working. You can sit on the bus or on a train and actually work. You can sit on an airplane and do some work. So instead of creating more time for ourselves to be able to rest, all we've done is created more work for ourselves. What's really interesting is that 60% of successful businessmen say that they battle with chronic stress and depression. 48% of the top successful business execs across the world globally have all said that their life is empty and meaningless. And that's really sad. On top of earning a living, we actually have so much to do, right? Like, if we were to list out everything that you have to do, you're going to end up by filling up two pages of paper, most likely. You see, we have family to visit, we have friends to talk to, we have um, exercise to do, we have jobs to complete around the house, we have bills to pay, we have hobbies that we want to do, we have books to read, we have videos to watch, we have uh, websites to browse, we even have socks to sort out. Actually, I got a little bit of a help for you because I solved the sock thing. I hated the sock thing. I hated sorting out the socks. You get the washing, you washed everything, you've dried everything, right? And then you have to actually sort through the socks. Drove me nuts. So I created the sock box. And what happens is the washing comes in, I pair up the socks, and every single pair of socks goes into the sock box. If you want a pair of socks and you want to wear a pair of socks, you go and get them out of the sock box. Now, you might be a person who has a special pair of socks that you don't want to share. That's fine, but I'm going to put it in the sock box and then you yourself can go and find your special pair of socks and pull it out of the sock box. Honestly, the sock box is the greatest thing I ever came up with. I promise if you implement this, you're going to save yourself a ton of stress and a ton of time. So we know that our time is limited, but the demands in our time seem to be infinite, just seem to be constant. Technology, which was supposed to make our life easier, hasn't done that. All this rushing around has made a complete um, effect every part of our life. It has a physical effect on us just as much as it does mentally and emotionally. If your body could talk right now, if your body could speak to you, what do you think it would say? It's highly likely that your body would say, slow down, rest, relax, can we just stop? There's this thing that, they, that psychologists have said has developed in the last uh, 20 years, which they call universal fatigue. And universal fatigue is something that we all experience. We just didn't know it had a fancy name. You know when the alarm goes off in the morning and you wake up and you go, it can't be morning because I'm still so tired. That's because your body isn't getting the full rest that it actually requires. With so much pressure on our time, everybody, whether you are 
no matter what kind of level of work you do, everybody realizes that we have to actually evaluate our priorities. We have to look at our priorities and prioritize our time because we actually only get 24 hours in a day. So we do that, we look at it. The thing is, if you don't live by your priorities, you're gonna live by your pressures. And pressures are not always that important. They're things that drag on us, things that demand our attention. But if you don't live by your priorities, you're gonna be constantly swayed by every pressure that you have. For the sake of our health and our sanity, for the sake of our family and our relationships, even for the sake of our community and our society, we actually need to take a Sabbath day of rest. And the thing is, with this, God is not trying to put another rule or another burden upon us. He's actually doing this for our benefit. Everything that God does is for our benefit. You need to remember that He is the Creator. He created us. He knows what we need and what we require. And His Creator's his Maker's recommendation for us is to work for six days and on the seventh day, rest. You see, you have to realize that that's actually how God Himself worked. If you look at Genesis 2 verses 1 to 3. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day God had rested his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. Because that was the day that he rested from all his work of creation. Now this particular commandment that we're looking at. It's the fourth commandment and it's the longest commandment. If you have a look you'll see that. What I find interesting about that is that because it's not a commandment solely for ourselves, it's a commandment where we actually have to make sure that others are doing it also. So to look at it properly, to be able to understand what it is that we need to do, I think we need to have a little bit of a history lesson. And to be honest, I've been in lockdown, so I had nothing else to do. So yay for you guys. So one of the things you need to understand is when the commandment was originally put in place, God said that we need to rest on the seventh day. The seventh day is a Saturday. First day is a Sunday, the seventh day is a Saturday. What was interesting about this is that the Old Testament laws had all these rules and restrictions about what could or could not be done on the Sabbath. These things were more than what God had intended. God had said what he said, um, and then man in his typical way expanded on those, trying to improve what God had decided. So with this Old Testament law, there were rules around how far you could travel, what you could do, what food you could prep. What's interesting to know is that Jesus and his disciples actually kept the Sabbath. Now, Jesus did get into a little bit of trouble with the Sabbath, but that's a whole other issue. The thing they need to understand is that the first lot of Christians were actually Jewish, right? So these Jewish Christians actually still kept the Sabbath. They followed all the Old Testament rules on a Saturday. They didn't work. They followed all those things. But what they did want to do is they wanted to get together and worship. And they began to do that on a Sunday. Now, I think it's really interesting to note that the resurrection happened on a Sunday. And I think that was a great factor as to why they picked Sunday to be the day to worship. The other thing that happened, of course, is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit um, in Acts that also happened on a Sunday. So you can see why Sunday kind of became an important day, why they focused their worship on the Sunday. But there's also really other, another practical reason for that. If all the Jewish Christians, who were the first lot of Christians, were observing the Sabbath rules on a Saturday, then the first chance that they would have to get together to worship God, to get together to talk about Jesus, to get together and have fellowship together, would have been on a working day 
on a Sunday. And so on a Sunday, they would meet before work or an ex, sometimes you read how they met in the evenings, but they would meet on that Sunday to gather together to worship God. So for several, several centuries, we actually had Christians all around the Mediterranean who would gather on the first day of the work week on a Sunday in the morning and spend time together worshiping God, learning about Jesus, and they would do that before going off to work. Now, in the year of our Lord, 321, is when the first Christian Roman Emperor Constantine, he was the one who decided that in actual fact he's going to declare Sundays are now a public holiday for everyone. And that was when we stopped working on Sundays. And that's actually kind of been in place for a couple of thousand years of not working on a Sunday. Now what happens with that is that now we've got Christians who have two kind of really opposing views, right? You've got some Christians who believe that all the rules in the, that was around the Sabbath need to be transferred from the Saturday to the Sunday. And they believe that Sunday should be a solemn day of worship. It should be a reflective day that you shouldn't actually, you know, you can't go outside and kick the ball around. You can't, you know, have friends over. You can't, um, you know, read a book or watch, watch TV. Like that's, this does not happen. Then you got other Christians, right? Who kind of took the, the Old Testament laws around the Sabbath and decided that that should be treated the same way as the Old Testament dietary laws. And they kind of pushed that to one side. And while yes, they do believe that it's a day of worship, um, they don't see the problem with kicking a ball, going for a walk, talking with people, you know, reading a book, watching TV. Now, the thing that I think we need to understand, the thing that I think personally is that we need to keep the principle of the Sabbath. We need to keep the fact that we need to have a, a day of rest. We need to have God's day of rest. But all those laws that, that the Old Testament had attached to it, we don't need those. That's, that's not actually what God intended for us. So I guess it means, it brings us to this question. Does that mean that we can't work at all on Sundays? Well, no, that's quite illogical, really, if you think about it, because there are some jobs that require you to work on a Sunday, like emergency services, uh, doctors, um, you know, utility services. They are all required to work on a Sunday. And not only that, but pastors have to work on a Sunday. It's probably our uh, most important day that we work, right? So it's not about it has to be on a Sunday. If you or your spouse works on a Sunday, then what it is, is that to find another Sabbath day. So what you need to do is you need to find some other day in your week where you can have 24 hours, where you can completely rest and relax and take time. Because the thing that you need to remember is, it's not about not working, it's about resting. If you work shift work and your time is up and down, have a look, where can you find one 24-hour block in, in seven days and take that day and rest. And it's not that we're saying that work is a bad thing. In fact, God says that work is good and it's a privilege. And that's actually part of this commandment. Like, I think there's three things in this commandment. There's the honor your work part. There's the honor your rest part. And then there's the ensure that other people can rest. There's a real big difference between employment and work. Employment is something that you're paid to do. Work, and a lot of work can happen. There are so many people who do countless hours of unpaid work, taking care of their families, uh, which I think is the most important thing that we do. But you've got to understand, we're not just talking about stuff that you're paid for. In Genesis 2 verse 15, 
the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. You see, God believes work is a good thing. He gave Adam work before the fall. He, his intention for humanity was that we would always work. If you actually look at this particular scripture that we're talking about, when he looks at working for six days and one day of rest, God has always intended us to work. Work only became burdensome when, when we um, sin entered the world. So if you look at Genesis 3, 17 to 19, And to man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit of, I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed for you because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch out a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you are made from dust, and to dust you will return. We are designed for work. We are designed for work. That is what God has designed us for. Honestly, if you believe that you're going to get to heaven, you're going to laze about to play a harp, that's not what's going to happen. God has designed works for you to do. Working is a good thing. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 to 24, the scripture says, Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. What's really interesting is when Paul wrote this, he wrote that particular passage to slaves. So work is a good thing. We need to thank God for our work. Now, it may be that you don't particularly like your job. You need to thank God anyway. We need to count our blessings. I'm not trying to be um, you know, difficult or, or cause problems when I say this, but there's been huge amounts of unemployment. If you look through the history of the world, there's been massive amounts of unemployment. You know, we look at the Great Depression, and it is a privilege that you have a job. You need to pray and thank God for it. Now, it may be that your job isn't that great. Maybe your job is a little bit dodgy, or the people you're working with is toxic. At that point, you actually ask God, how do I get out of this? How do I move on to a better job, a different job? And you need to pray that through. But you need to be thanking God for the work that you do have. Honor him for it, and I'm guaranteed that he will find a way and help you to get out of that. We give our best to our boss. We give our best to who we're employed to. Not because they might be a nice person, not because we happen to like them or the team we work with, but because everything we do, we are doing for God. As Paul wrote to the, um, to the slaves, work willingly at whatever you do for your working to the Lord rather than for people. I believe that it is God's desire, God's will, that we would all have a fulfilling job. The thing that you need to understand, though, is that while you might find, think is fulfilling, God might have a slightly different idea on. We need to understand the value of work. We also need to understand the value of rest. We can tend to see work as being important and rest as being unimportant. You see, a day off a week is really good for you physically and really good for you mentally. When you're working all the time, you don't have that opportunity to be able to sit back and consider and think about where you're going and where you're heading. You need to get things in perspective because sometimes we can't see the big picture because of all the pressures that we have. So when you stop and you take a moment. I read this really interesting quote out of um, the diary of William Wilberforce. So William Wilberforce was the MP who was um, single-handedly basically actually changed the laws in England in the late 1700s, early 1800s, and banned slavery completely. He was actually an up-and-coming MP, and at that time, you have to understand that politics in England was so exciting because basically, uh, you know, the Crown had given up 
its its authority and its power and the people had had now taken control basically of the laws and the rules and they weren't going to be subject to a monarchy so what happened was he was in a time where he was becoming quite noticeable. He was very good at speaking. He was very good at presenting logical arguments. He was, uh, it was quite a, quite a, a, an important time in his life. And it was a very exciting time for him. And people had, were so impressed with him that they had basically earmarked him for the highest position in Parliament. And it was very, very exciting. Now, William Wilberforce was actually a Christian and he never worked on a Sunday even though others would do so they would even have parliamentary meetings on Sundays he just flat out refused because he believed in a day of rest and it was because through this day of rest that he actually um, took some time out and he reflected and what was interesting is he um, in the end declined to continue on to become um, Prime Minister and all that sort of stuff he just stayed as an MP but what was interesting was this he wrote this in his diary these earthly things assume their true size. These earthly things assume their true size. And I think this is vitally important for us and we need to realize that, that when you take a break, when you stop and you give yourself time, you can see things in the right perspective. You see, when I'm rushing around and I'm responding to so many pressures, I don't have time to stop and think, is this going where it should be? Is this taking me in the right direction? You see, we need to stop. We need to make those things that are pressuring us put back into perspective, into their right size. Having a day off is also a statement as to who we are and who runs our lives. It dethrones work from being central to our existence. You see, there are alcoholics and there are also workaholics. And both of them are doing the same thing. They're escaping from their lives. Like people use work to escape from family pressure. They use work to escape from social pressure. They use work to escape from everything else that's going around that they don't want to. What's really interesting is that stress from work in Japan is the leading killer of males. Did you know that? It's really, it's really disturbing that stress from work is the leading killer of males. It can cause hypertension, it can cause depression, it can cause um, mental breakdowns. If you don't stop and take a break, you could are in a lot of danger. So, how do we get the most benefit from God's day of rest? If God has said to us, you need to rest. I want you to have a Sabbath day. It's God's day of rest. How do we get the most benefit from it? There are a few things. The first one is you need to guard your rest. You need to guard your rest. Now, it's actually going to be hard work to keep this day completely free. Particularly if your day off is not going to be a Sunday. If, you, if your Sabbath day is not a Sunday and say you have a Friday off. People are going to assume that you're working. So you're going to have to be really, really vigilant about this. You need to let people know, hey, this is my day off. I'm not taking work calls. If you can, redirect your phone somewhere else. Um, don't read any emails from work. You need to actually guard this time. Make sure that people know. If you have some responsibilities, try to offload them. You know what? Jesus, in the middle of a really busy season, he would always stop and take time out. Sometimes he would go off by himself. Sometimes he would take his friends. Do not allow the pressures to override the priority of having a, having a break. You gotta make sure that it's a day of rest. So don't set up your day of not working at work as as something to, to do a whole bunch of other stuff, right? So like if you find paying your bills stresses you out, don't do it on your day off. 
If you find that, um, you, if you don't have young children, try and sleep in. Now, obviously, if you have young kids, you can't do that. But try to look for ways to, to make that day a complete day off, to completely rest. Don't answer your work phone. Don't think about work projects. Don't take on massive housework tasks. Don't decide you're going to water blast the house because it happens to be a day off. No, no, you have to have a Sabbath day. Guard that day. You see, the time to relax is when you don't have time to relax because that's when you need it the most. The second thing is be refreshed in your rest, right? So resting is about recovering from the week that's been and recharging yourself, recharging yourself right if you need to um, do a bit of work the day before to ensure that you can fully recharge yourself if you find cooking stressful make extra eat leftovers you got to be practical see in our house what we like to do is we like to rest relax with um, you know a movie and and popcorn or we like to get uh, gather people around we like to have dinner or lunch with people and just relax some for you it might be to read a book it might be um, to go for a walk some of you might find it really relaxing to just sit sit and and do nothing sit and do nothing that just sounds so nice not so much sit and do nothing because I'm stressing because I'm in lockdown but sit in the sun whatever it is you've got to be able to do it the other thing you want to do is you want to make sure that you're assessing it like have a look over the last three times that you've had a sabbath day or you've taken a day of rest did you relax did you find it stressful some people who are really hard workers they kind of carry that same attitude into into their um into their hobbies right so sometimes you need to decide is trying to break my marathon record actually relaxing for me is trying to learn chinese on my day off actually relaxing for me you need to be able to rest. You see, the whole point of this, you need to be blessed by your rest. Make sure that you are. The third thing is, you have to have freedom in your rest. Now, you would think that this would come easy, but sometimes it doesn't. We have to organize ourselves so that there is no stress. We just need to rest. What's interesting is that religious leaders turned this particular day, they had a list of do's and don'ts, right? So when when God said the command, you've got to have a Sabbath day of rest. Did you know that by the time Jesus got there, some sort of, I don't know, four or five hundred years later, they had invented 1,521 rules to ensure that you did not break that rest. I find it interesting that Jesus spent a lot of time getting in trouble for breaking the Sabbath rest. Like, he would break the Sabbath constantly. He healed people. He picked grain, he went for walks, he cast demons out, and the religious leaders of the day went completely nuts at him. I think it's because he realized that they had turned what was supposed to be a gift from God into an absolute burden that people couldn't bear. And it was actually religious abuse, and I think that's why Jesus constantly pushed the agenda on it, pushed the envelope on it. In Mark 2, 27, when Jesus was being questioned, he's about his constantly breaking the Sabbath. This is what he said. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. You see, God gave us this for our benefit, not to add stress or pressure to us, but this was to benefit us because you need it physically, emotionally, mentally, you need this day of rest. These attitudes, though, we can we still carry them into today, right? This commandment is actually to set us free. 
The resting part is absolutely essential, but how you rest is completely up to you. The fourth thing is that we need to enjoy others in our rest. You see, the most important thing in life aren't actually things, they're people. And part of the Sabbath rest is that you're supposed to spend it with people. You're supposed to gather your family, gather your friends, sit down, have a meal together. It needs to be not just quantity time, but quality time. Because when else are you going to do it? One of the things that my family do, my extended family of my sisters and my nieces and nephews and my parents and all that, is that we pretty much pick the public holidays, right? So it's Queen's birthday, what are we doing, where are we going? Quite often we'll end up out at, um, you know, One Tree Hill Domain, we'll pick up KFC because, you know, yum, and, you know. So we'll eat KFC, we'll play volleyball, which is hilarious because like only two people can actually play and the rest of us are terrible. But we just spend the day laughing and having fun and having a meal together and we try to make it as least amount of stress as possible so no one's actually having to cook. But it's about being together and it's about enjoying each other's company. We need to grow and develop and extend our relationships. And when you're working six days a week, when else are you going to have an opportunity to do that? The fifth thing and probably one of the most important part is we actually have to enjoy God in our rest. You see, God's day of rest is a day to worship. Now, it's not the only day to worship, and no, it's not the only day to praise, it's not the only day to pray to God, but it should be a time, we need to create a time in this day where we worship God, where we gather together with other Christians, with other believers, and we corporately spend time in worship to God. It's a day to tune in. It's a day to refocus. It's a day to sit back, get that perspective. Because if you're busy the other six days of the week, when does God have an opportunity to speak? When does God have an opportunity to redirect what you're doing? When does God have an opportunity to bring a perspective to it for you to actually go, actually, this is not where I should be. And this current path I'm on, is it going to lead me in this direction? And really, I want to be over here. So we need to spend time with God. I'm going to say something that might be a little controversial. I find it really disturbing when Christians uh, go, oh, well, we're going to have family time on Sunday, and they, they don't turn up, to, turn up to church. Now, you're going to say, oh, but you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. No, you don't, but it really helps. And corporate worship is an essential part of being a Christian because if you aren't gathering together, how are you going to know that you're on the right track? If you're not giving God time, how can he speak to you and redirect where you're going? If you, you, know, if you want your family to grow up worshiping God and following God, then you have to actually turn up to the, to the house. Just a side note. If we can take our rest on a Sunday, then we should. Giving God the first part of the first day of the week sets us up because it reminds us as to who's important. It reminds us as to the fact that he is first in our life. We need to remember that we were to keep the Sabbath day as holy, but we had to keep it holy to ourselves, keep it sacred to ourselves. Guard your Sabbath day. You see, God wants the day to be holy to you. It isn't just about time off. It's about sacred time off. It belongs to God. You see, we can't afford to just go along with what the world's doing because it will just continuously erode our relationship with God. When we give God time, when we give Him the first part of our week, it helps our hearts transform so that we're not only uh, publicly declaring to everybody else, but we're declaring it to ourselves that God comes first.
And if you don't have that on a Sunday, you need to find another day. What is your day? What is your Sabbath day? And then guard it. So I'm just going to finish up with a bit of a challenge. So the challenge that we have. Ultimately, it comes down to this. Who controls our time? By keeping God's day of rest, we are proclaiming to ourselves and to the world that it's actually God that runs our lives. Because if he is Lord, then he's Lord of our time. That's why there's such a battle in this area. It isn't a question of legislation around trading hours or cultural practices. It's about lordship of our time, lordship of our life, lordship of our culture. For one day a week, the Sabbath is a reminder that we are dispensable to work. And we're dispensable to the world. But we're not dispensable to our family and to our community and to God. So you need to set an example. And by the use of your precious time, you need to show that God is Lord.